This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. All right, everybody. Welcome to Rico Bronia, where the New York Mets have completed a... Really a sucky road trip, let's be honest. They lose two out of three in Chicago. They lose two out of three in Colorado. They score a million runs over the last two days in Denver, and they walk away with zero wins. We'll go through the three games in Colorado, what happened on this road trip, and obviously our concerns moving forward. I think the headline from the three games in Colorado, and really the headline moving ahead, is the pitching. And it brings me back to a conversation we had probably multiple times over the last few weeks. And that was what concerns us about this team and what are we confident about moving forward? And my confidence remained that this lineup would find a way to score runs. Now, granted, Coors Field, <laughs> we, we have to keep that in mind. Some of the pitchers they faced, including a returning Kyle Hendricks in the final game of the Chicago series, they weren't exactly facing the late 90s Braves, but nevertheless, you can see the potential of this lineup, especially with Francisco Alvarez mashing the way he's been mashing over the last couple of weeks. So I think the concerns we all had about the lineup was centered around when are they going to call the young guys up? And then, hey, when will Buck play them consistently? That is finally happening. So when the Mets go out and score, you know, how many runs they did over the last couple of days. Let's see. They lost 11-10 and they lost 10-7. So they scored 17 runs in two games. Tack on the five on Friday, uh, a bunch of runs they scored against Chicago in the finale of the series. This is an offense scoring a lot of runs. The problem is the pitching. And it's not just the starting pitching. Now it's seeped into this bullpen, but it's all connected. Because when you only get four or five innings from your starters, and now you're going to the underbelly of your bullpen, which is basically the entire bullpen. And let's be honest, how many guys in this bullpen right now does anybody trust? Like, if you're making a list of relievers that you trust right now, who's on the list? It's David Robertson, and that's probably it. And we're going to do that, by the way, today on the pod. We will rank the seven or eight relievers. I guess we'll go with eight. That's how many they have right now will rank the eight relievers in terms of confidence level. But let's go through these games. Let's go back. Let me get my scorebook out. I'm doing this live from, uh, not really live, I'm recording this from my parents' house. Brought the kids out to see Grammy and Grandpa. They're all having a good time. Uh, 
So yeah, I've got, I've got like a makeshift setup right now where I'm, I've got a microphone on a table and I've got my giant scorebook that I'm going to go look back on because yeah, you know, people compliment me about my memory. I think I have a decent memory, but a lot of it is the scorebook. A lot of it is the beauty of the scorebook. So you go back to the opener of this series. Obviously, they're building off of what happened in Chicago, which, and good job, by the way, by Gallo and Hoffman doing a great job wrapping up that game and the Chicago series. But we see the Met offense explode uh, against the Chicago Cubs. They finally got to Kyle Hendricks, Francisco Lindor. I guess Francisco Lindor finally broke out, really, in the, the first game of the Colorado series. But Pete Alonso hit another home run. They got a big hit by Starling Marte on an 0-2 pitch. You remember what happened in that game. But we go to this Colorado series beginning with uh, Connor Siebold against the great Max Scherzer. And right away, and this was what was so encouraging from game one, right away the Mets scored first, which they have done so rarely this season. How often have they actually taken an early lead? And Lindor, two batters into the game after Brandon Nimmo had the quality at bat drawing a walk, Lindor hits this bomb of a two-run home run. And right out the gate, it felt like last year, taking an early lead and actually building off of it because Max Scherzer, who was shaky over the first two innings, I thought was really fortunate to get through the second. That was the inning he gives up the home run. There were a bunch of hard-hit balls. Pete Alonso made a great diving play, which he doesn't get enough credit for. But by the third inning, Scherzer really settled in and maybe through his best game of the season when all was said and done. But the offense explodes in the fifth inning. Brandon Nemo had the first of two triples. Francisco Lindor tacked on an RBI single. Brett Beatty came through with an RBI single. They took advantage of some bad Colorado defense, and the Mets were able to build a 4-1 to lead and hold on because Max Scherzer was great. We got a rare, not just a quality performance, but a starting pitcher going deep into the game. And he was able to fight through that seventh because the seventh inning, his last inning out there when the pitch count was getting into the uh, hundreds, it ended up at 102. That's when he got into trouble and he just toyed with Ezekiel Tovar, which he did basically throughout this game. But in that final at bat with runners on second and third, the game is close at the time now. It's four to one. So the Rockies are base it away from making it a game. And Scherzer gets a big out on Tovar and really puts together a great performance. And that was in a lot of ways, a vintage Max Scherzer performance. Shaky early, gives up the home run early to McMahon, and then really settled in innings three through six, and then muscles up and makes the big pitches when he needed to in the seventh inning of this game, getting out of it. But then we see this Met bullpen make you nervous. <laughs> it may make you very nervous. And of all people, it was David Robertson. Buck did his Let's go to my best reliever in the eighth inning trick, which, again, I love. I got no issue with it. With the top of the order coming up, Blackman, Profar, Bryant, Elias Diaz, who's had this incredible year. And Robertson immediately throws that hanging curveball to Blackman, who's been a Met killer over the years, let's be honest, to make it a close game. Hits the home run that made it 4-2. to two. And Robertson, to his credit, gets through the next three batters. Got a little lucky on Profar. Hit a line drive. It happened to be right at Brandon Nimmo. So Robertson gets through the eighth, but it sets up the ninth in which you wonder, okay, Buck, you use your best reliever in the eighth, all good with that. He's not asking Robertson to get six outs, which I didn't think. They were talking about it on the broadcast as a possibility. And I didn't think in this spot, coming off a win, first game of a weekend in Colorado, no off date on Monday, 
I didn't really think he was going to ask Robertson to get six outs. Because if you do that, and I know we've seen it before, but if you do that, you're eliminating him from Saturday and you may be eliminating him from Sunday. So you'll wipe him out for the weekend if you make a move like that. Now, little did we know that we wouldn't see David Robertson again. <laughs> more, more on that as we go through the series. But I, I kind of figured he was just using him for the eighth. But then in the ninth, gives Brooks Raley the first chance to protect the lead. Now, this is right after the Mets added a big-time insurance run when Nimmo had that second triple of the game, and Lindor drives him in with the sacrifice fly on a really good catch by Profar. I thought it could have been more. So he goes to Raleigh to start this ninth inning, and the first thing he does is walk Ryan McMahon. And now I'm getting nervous. i, I got to be honest with you. Now I'm getting nervous because it goes back to the first thing I said on this pod that we'll get to later. Ranking the comfort level of these relievers and who you actually trust. Because after David Robertson, who's now out of this game, after doing his job, other than the home run in the eighth inning, you're talking about Raleigh, Adovino, and Drew Smith as really your three options. So Raleigh can't get the left-hander out. He leaves him in the face, Randall Randall Grichick, because he has to keep him in with the three batter minimum and gets Grichick to pop up. Okay, fine. Now he's facing this rookie, Nolan Jones, and he walks him on four effing pitches. <laughs> so Rayleigh, who did a very good job getting that save on Sunday night against Cleveland, is walking a rookie on four pitches that brings up the tying run to the plate. So my, my nerves are through the roof now with two on, one out, and he goes to Adam Adovino, which... I have no issue with because you got a right-hander coming up. You do have Moustakis on the bench and then Charlie Blackman. But how the hell can you trust Brooks Raley? Like, you're not keeping him in the game. He's just walked two of three guys to bring the tying run to the plate. So there's no way you're keeping him in this game. Adovino immediately um, gives up an infield hit. And that was the, the, the crazy play that really should have been an error. It was a ground ball to third. So off the top, I'm thinking, hey, can turn the double play and end this. Escobar boots it, and then Lindor quickly picks it up, throws to second base, and the rookie Nolan Jones is way off second base. How freaking wild was that play? It goes from bad Met defense to holy crap, we're lucky. Because if Lindor doesn't make that heads-up play to throw out Nolan Jones, we're looking at bases loaded one out. Mike Moustakis and Charlie Blackman coming up against Adam Adovino. And then after that, Profar. So three straight left-handed bats against the really, I don't care what the splits say this year, really the guy you don't want facing lefties and Adam Adovino. But thank God for Nolan Jones's base running mistake. And thank God for Lindor. That's a Look, give him credit. That's a heads-up play by Lindor after Escobar makes the error. I know they don't call it an error. It's a base hit. My ass. It's an error. I mean, let's, let's be honest. I, I begrudgingly will write down single in my scorebook, even though, what are we talking about? It's an error. Like, I've thought over the years, should I just score it however the hell I want to score it? Like, should I just F the official score? This is an error. I'm putting it down as an error, and I... I can't do it. I, I, I owe too much integrity to the what actually happened in the game. So I had to write down infield hit. But thank God for Lindor. It sets up Mike Moustakis. And major props to Adam Adovino. He strikes him out on that 2-2 pitch. And the Mets escape. 
and win a game, and I've said this a lot, a game that if they don't win is an unmitigated nightmare. Now, don't worry, we'll have some nightmares over the weekend, but at least on Friday night, they open this series without a nightmare, but the underlining theme, underlining, underlying theme remains. This bullpen, this bullpen from top to bottom, and this is the good part of the bullpen right now, it's tough to trust. It's a, I mean, I don't want to rip David Robertson because he really hasn't done anything wrong, but David Robertson is showing that he's human. David Robertson is now showing us, hey, I'm not going to pitch to a 0.63 ERA for the entire season. Like, that's not happening. I'm not pulling that one off. Gives up the home run to Blackman, gets through the inning fine, he did his job, but we cannot expect, and this is my point, we cannot expect David Robertson, as great as he's been, to pitch to a one and a half ERA. He's 38, 39 years old. It's it's not going to happen. And that's the reliever that you trust the most. After that, Brooks Raley, are we trusting him? Adam Ottavino, he got the job done, but are we trusting him? And this is the best part of the bullpen. And obviously, that leads us in to Saturday. Now, Saturday is not just the Met bullpen, which we'll get to. Justin Verlander, and he's only made a handful of starts now. How many many has he made now? He's made five starts, two of which, 40%, have been god-awful. Two of them have been very, very bad. Justin Verlander gave you as bad a performance as you're going to see from him. He gives up five runs in the second inning. And by the way, when you look at those five runs he gave up in the second inning, it should have been more. It should have been more. You got Brandon Nimmo making a great running catch that ended the inning. You got Starling Marte making a leaping catch on the Profar sacrifice fly. I mean, that was... (laughs) Verlander got one true out in that entire inning. But he gives up five runs. And what I was hoping for after that, it was for him to at least settle down. And I, I mean, he sort of did. He gave up another run in the third. And then, thank God, he gave you the fourth and he gave you the fifth before the Mets had to go to the bullpen. Now, I'm not trying to tell you five innings, six runs is good. It's not. It sucked. It was one of the worst performances you'll see from him other than his other one dud. But thank goodness he gave him five because when you watch him in the second inning, he was lucky to get through the second inning. If the Mets have to go to the bullpen in the second inning, they lose this game, you know, 15 to 7. Now, here's the positive from this game that I know some of us are going to think about. Some of us are going to put a lot of credence in this. Other of, others of us are going to say they lost who gives a damn. They are down 5 nothing. They are down 6 nothing. They score a run in the fourth inning to make it 6-1. to one. They also had the Alvarez, you know, mental faux pas where he gets the triple and then picks his hand up in what appears to be a celebration, and he's tagged out, which just sucked. Because at that point in the game, it's 5 nothing, and this is your answer to that five-run second inning. You get a leadoff triple, and at minimum, you get one of those runs back, but who knows, maybe it turns into a big inning. And instead, you're handing it out away. So you have that. You're down six. You get a run of the fourth on the Alonzo home run great. You're down six to one. And then in the fifth inning, and this is this is really the part that stunned me. In the fifth inning, they got two on and nobody out, and they don't score. Let's not forget that. They got the first two guys on base with Alvarez 
Nimmo and Lindor. And Lindor actually got robbed. It won the right field, and Harold Castro made a great sliding catch. But they get two on and nobody out in the fifth. They don't score. So think about this through five innings. You have a leadoff triple that turns into an out. You don't score. Yes, you get a solo home run. Great. Then you get two on, nobody out with some of your best hitters coming up. You don't score. And you're down 6-1 to one going into the sixth inning. And that sixth inning was as stunning of an inning as we've seen in a week. <laughs> I wouldn't say all year. That's the most stunning innings that we had since uh, Friday against Cleveland. So really from a week earlier. But they put a rally together in the sixth against the Colorado bullpen because they got Chase Anderson out of the game. Chase Anderson did a great job. They get to Brent Suter. They get the first three guys on base. Brett Beatty drives in a run with an RBI double. They get the RBI ground out by Starling Marte. Canna grounds out. And then you get the Viento single, which sets up Francisco Alvarez getting an epic moment against Jake Bird on a 1-2 pitch. Down by three after the Mets make it 6-3. And he hits a bomb. Oh, what a sexy bomb by Francisco. I mean, everything about this at bat. You're down one and two, excuse me. I'm sorry. You're down one and two in the count. It's six to three. And Alvarez, and it really did feel out of nowhere because I'm watching this at bat thinking, hey, just rip a single. Just keep this rally going. That's all I'm thinking. And he just, just destroys a baseball. What is it, 20 rows deep in a left field for a three-run bomb? He gives you that pimp celebration that we all love. And the Mets come all the way back in a game that felt dead to tie this game at six. And as Alvarez is hitting the home run, what are we all doing? We're cursing Buck out. He better play on Sunday. (laughs) Move him up in the order. Why did it take so long? I mean, that's the problem when these kids do well. So he hits the home run. And, you know, credit to Dominic Leone. It's the one reliever I'll give credit to. He comes in this game and gives you a shutdown inning. Gives you a shutdown inning. Gets to a little one-out jam. And the game remains tied going into the seventh inning where the Mets get the clutch RBI single by Starling Marte to take the lead. And it's 7-6. And my brain is going into a place of, wow. Three-game winning streak, another just incredible win. I can't believe it. And little did I know, little did I know, up 7-6, nine outs away, that this bullpen was going to blow the whole game up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Now, let's get to Buck's decisions. Because I got a lot of emails. We'll get to a few of them. But I know a lot of the complaints is how he handled this bullpen for the final night out. So let's take this piece by piece. You've got the middle of the order coming up in the seventh inning. Let's play the choice game. Who should Buck Showalter go to in the seventh inning? Right-hander Elias Diaz, left-hander Ryan McMahon, right-hander Randall Gritchick. It's the heart of the order. You want to say it's their best hitters? I, I don't know. I mean, Chris Bryant's on their bench. Charlie Blackman is not coming up this inning. But certainly Elias Diaz fits into that. He's had an incredible year. Where do you want to go? Seriously, where do you want to go? Do you want to go to David Robertson in the seventh inning? Probably not. Now, we haven't seen him do that very often. It is the heart of the order, but he's probably also thinking, hey, if I hold on to this lead in the ninth inning, it's probably going to be the heart of the order. You know, assuming I don't get one, two, three, one, two, three, but even if I do, I think that would mean my closer in the ninth inning is facing nine, one, and two, which are three of their best hitters. So David Robertson is not, the realistic option. Do you want to go to Adam Adovino in the seventh inning of this game? Do you want to go to Adam? Now, is Adam Adovino available? Let me think about this. So he pitched the night before, and he also pitched the night before that. So you're looking at a three straight day performance by Adam Adovino if you go to him. Is he realistically available? Probably not. Do you want to go to Drew Smith, who has not been great over the last few weeks. You want to go to him. Do you want to go to Brooks Raley again? Now, there's one lefty in this inning, but it's righty, lefty, righty. We do know Raley has not been just a lefty specialist. So you got him as an option. And then you've got Jeff Brigham, which is where Buck Showalter goes to. Here's my point of this little diatribe. And I've said this a lot about Aaron Boone. So now I'm going to say it about Buck Showalter. These were not great options. And that's the underlying issue that this Met team has. We can pick apart his managing in the seventh inning. But remember, because any of those choices I mentioned, fine. Like you, you can make an argument for any one of them. Any one of them. But understand, all of those options are incredibly flawed. None of those options are good options. None of them. So he goes to Jeff Brigham. That's what he does in the seventh inning of this game. And he promptly gives up a double and a two-run home run, and the Rockies have flipped the scoreboard and taken the lead. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, even though I would have been wrong, but I want to give you a first guess. When Brigham gives up a double, a home run, and a hit batsman, I'm getting his ass out of the game. That's me. That's how I would have managed this. Buck kept him in, and to Brigham and Buck's credit, he gets the next three guys out. By the way, I just want to make something clear about Brigham. I know there's no N in his name. It's B-R-I-G-H-A-M. And yet, as much as I try to say Brigham, the N just comes out. Brigham. Like I'm bringing something. Even though it's not, it's Brigham. So I just want to make that clear. Okay, good. But I, but I would have taken him out. I mean, he, he puts three guys on base. He gets a double, a home run, a hit batsman. I would have gone to Drew Smith, but Buck got it right, right? He kept him in. He gets the three outs. The Mets are down a run. Here's the problem. The Mets in the eighth inning now, down a run, go down one, two, three. And it was meekly, meekly 
to Justin Lawrence. Then in the eighth, he goes to Drew Smith. Again, one of those options you could have argued for for pitching the seventh inning. And what does Drew Smith do? Walk out, RBI triple, RBI single, and a one-run game becomes a three-run game. Not that it matters because the heart of the Met order went down one, two, three on like seven pitches. This is not a defense of Buck Showalter. I don't want you to take it that way. Here's how I want you to take this discussion on handling the bullpen on Saturday night, and we'll get to Sunday too. It's that they don't have good options. And so it's really a knock on Billy Epler that these are not great options. You know, once Justin Verlander only gives you five innings, where are you going? Now, you want to keep Dominic Leone in for another inning after he pitched a clean six? Uh, okay, I, I guess. I, I mean, sure. Now, most of the time, you get a good inning from a reliever. Your thought is, I got my good inning. Let me thank the good Lord, and let me get the hell out of here. So you want to argue Leone, Drew Smith, Adovino a third straight day, Brooks Raley, whatever you want to throw out there. Let's all agree on this. The options all suck. They showed a lot of fight coming back into the game. That's great. I still went to sleep pissed off, as we all did. Because you could show as much fight as you want. They lost the game. That's the bottom line. Now we get to Sunday, the finale of this three-game series. Tyler Miguel, I mean, he is, he's missed the whip, bro. And he puts so many guys on base. What I always say, though, is if you can leave those guys on base, I don't care. So in the first inning, he puts two guys on with two outs. He strikes out Randall Gritchick. Great. He puts the first two guys on base in the second inning, gets the next three guys out. Great. Or gets the next two guys out because he picked the guy off. Great. So when he's putting guys on base, but he's finding a way to get out of it, as annoying as it may be, he's doing his job. But the third inning was a disaster because immediately he makes a defensive miscue. Pete Alonzo fields a grounder. He flips it to McGill, and he can't catch it. I don't want to waste too much time on this, but yes, I hear you. When a pitcher makes an error, the run should be earned. Unearned for the team, earned for that pitcher. Okay, now do I lose sleep over this? I do not. Okay, I do not. It's not, it's not a baseball scoring issue that bothers me all that much, but I hear you and I understand you. But McGill, after the error, gets the next two guys out. Next two guys are out. So it looks like he's going to get through the inning. And then he gives a back-to-back, two-out RBI singles by the pain-in-the-ass Colorado Rockies. Oh, my God. Are they not pains in the asses? They are a great clutch-hitting team. They were a great clutch-hitting team in this series. They are a great clutch-hitting team throughout this season at 24-30, and whatever their record is. So McGill gives up the two two two-out hits. We're down 2 nothing, and then we have the inning that made us all moist. Lead-off double Pete Alonso, ground-out Vientos, walk Marte, a clutch two-run double by Tommy Pham, a walk to Marcana, an RBI single by Eduardo Escobar, and then it's all capped off, up 2 nothing, by, or up 3 nothing by Francisco Javier Piazza Alvarez. If there is one positive we can take out of this entire weekend, 
It's A, Buck played them all three games. B, Buck batted him second in the finale of this series. And three, he's a monster. He hits his eighth home run of the season. He has 19 RBIs. Francisco Alvarez has not just taken the catching job. He's taken the mantle as one of the best hitters on this team and one of the most clutch hitters on this team. I mean, think about in just the last two weeks, the amount of clutch hits Francisco Alvarez has had. Not just hits, not just home runs, not just moonshots. That's great. That's fantastic. The clutch hits. The three-run home run the night before that tied the game. The home run from the Tampa Bay game. The two-out RBI single from the Cleveland game. It really is massive. Like, massive hits by Francisco Alvarez. I think back to that at-bat he had earlier this season against Josh Hader where he looks so overmatched. And now you think about him in these spots. He's probably the guy you want up in a big spot, maybe more than anybody else. But the buzzkill from all of this is a six-run fourth inning. It's 6-2. to two. I'm thinking Tyler McGill's going to give you a shutdown inning because he got the first two guys out in the fourth inning. And again, much like I did the night before, my brain is going to a good place. Win this series, okay, three and three road trip, not the worst thing in the world. Good job by this team. The offense is clicking. We come home against the Phillies feeling good. I did not see the meltdown coming. And maybe that's my fault. Maybe I'm the schmuck. Maybe that's my problem. Two outs and nobody on in the fourth. Single, single, walk, double, bases clearing double by McMahon, RBI double by Randall Gritchick, and we're freaking tied. Like, we got that six-run inning and got to enjoy ourselves for about 10 minutes before the Colorado Rockies had an just an onslaught against Tyler McGill. Now let's play the game again. Did you want Tyler McGill out of the game in the fourth inning? Okay. I'm hearing some people say yes. Yeah, after the back-to-back hits. Yeah, after the walk. Yeah, after the Ryan McMahon bases clearing double. Okay, for whom? And that's the problem. For whom? When the fifth inning comes around, and this game is tied at sixth, after the Mets blew a great opportunity in the fifth, Pete Alonso had the leadoff triple, and then he did nothing wrong. He ran on contact on the ground ball to third, but Ryan McMahon made a hell of a play, and that play felt like it turned the game. Because the Mets should have taken the lead. They should have instantly taken the lead right back. Now, does that mean they win? Probably not. Not with this garbage bullpen. But Ryan McMahon makes this great play, throwing out Alonzo at the plate. The Met offense basically went to sleep after that. And this game is tied. And now we're in the fifth inning. And again, who should come in? Should Dominic Leone come in? Yeah, probably. Pitched well the night before. Well, he goes to Steven Nagosik, Mr. Longman, and he got destroyed. Now, here's my issue, and this is not pivoting towards ripping Billy Epler. This is a buck issue. My buck issue is can you get him out of the game before it gets out of hand? Now, I also understand, eyes wide open, that none of the options to replace him are that good. We all get that. But once Nagosik gives up double double, home run, line out, walk, home run. Is there not a point in the middle of that sequence where you say, I'm best suited to get him out of the game? Like I should get him out of the game for whomever. It doesn't even, Leon, 
Brigham, Hunt, whoever you want at that point. Double, double, home run, line out, walk. Before that, why is McMahon coming up facing uh, Stephen Ngozi? Like at that point, why don't, why don't you go to Brooks Raleigh? Why not keep the game close? Because the Colorado Rockies broke the game open. It's 11-6. And as much as it's Coors Field and anything can happen, you're down 11-6 with 12 outs to play. You're asking a lot to come back in that spot. And what was so infuriating is that every other crappy reliever that Buck used after the Nagosic implosion actually pitched well. Dominic Leone comes in, strikes out the side. Jeff Brigham comes in, pitches a 1-2-3 inning. Tommy Hunter gets two outs. Brooks Rayleigh gets a big out. So the rest of this terrible bullpen actually did a good job, but Buck allowed Steven Nagosik to get his ass kicked. Look, if you take him out and you go to any one of those relievers and they also get bombed, there's a pretty good chance I'm sitting here on the Rico saying, hey, look, what do you want Buck to do? Kind of like I did about the Saturday game. Like, I get it. I'm not just going to kill you every single time. But in that fifth inning, you got to get him out of the game. He's Steven Nagosik. He's not good. If you have a bad reliever struggling, get him out and hope that one of your other bad relievers will have a good day. That, that's all I'm saying. Now let's get to some other things, including the pinch hitting decisions. So here's the pinch hitting decision I had a problem with. Seventh inning of the game, Mets make it 11-7 when Francisco Lindor hits his ninth home run of the season. They get a two-out triple by Starling Marte, and Tommy Pham draws a walk. At that point, Peter Lambert's taken out for the hard-throwing Daniel Bard. So the Mets are down by four. They've got two on and two out for Mark Canner, with right-hander Daniel Bard coming in seventh inning. I got to go to Brett Beatty. He eventually will go to Brett Beatty. But in that spot, in the seventh inning, I'm down by four. I need a hit now. I can't think about the ninth inning. So I'm going to Brett Beatty right then and there. I, I would say, under normal circumstances, go to Daniel Vogelback. But I think the, uh, the time has ended for Daniel Vogelback, stunningly enough. More on that in a little bit. But he doesn't. He leaves Canna in the game. And while Canna drew a few walks, does anybody want Mark Canna up in that spot, two on, two out, when you've got Beatty and McNeil on the bench? I didn't even mention Jeff McNeil. Could have gone to McNeil. He keeps Canna in. Canna strikes out. Leadoff double in the eighth. They get a walk. They got two on and one out. And I can't kill Alvarez because Alvarez hits a line drive right at the shortstop and a double play is turned. So I can't kill Alvarez because he smokes the freaking ball. Just smokes it and it turns into a double play. And that's just bad luck. Though I did say to my dad as Alvarez came up two on Anything but a double play. Let him strike out for all I care. No double play. But he smoked it, and it's right at the shortstop. And how can anybody kill Alvarez with the way he's been hitting? So no pinch hit issues there. He even let Escobar bat to start the eighth inning, which I thought was really interesting, and let him bat in the ninth inning, which we'll get to. But they somehow rally in the ninth inning anyway, down by four. They go to McNeil for Vientos, one out, nobody on, which is fine. But again, I would have used either McNeil or Beatty earlier. Marte walks. Pham comes through with the double. He goes to Beatty for Canna and then lets Escobar face Vogelback. Now, here's what I find interesting about that. 
if Bach, after playing Vogelback as much as he did, started sitting him on Saturday, and we were all going crazy on Friday for him being in the lineup, he went 0 for 4, he got robbed a few times, but continues to hit the ball on the ground. If you're not going to Vogelback in that spot with Escobar up, he's done. He's done. This is the first time where I don't think he's going to be on the team now. Now I think he's close to being DFA or being traded because maybe he does have enough value where you can deal him for something. But if you're not using him there, why is he here? Think about it. If if he's lost the confidence of Buck that much, and I'm not complaining, by the way, about the Buck decision. I agree with Buck not going to him. But it shows you where he is right now. And uh, I have a, a longtime midday caller, hasn't called much in afternoons, Chris in Orlando. And Chris in Orlando DM'd me this, and he's been tweeting a lot about this, and I want to be fair about who Chris is. Years ago, Chris called up Joe and I to tell us breaking news. Now, it was the, the most ridiculously, who cares, breaking news. But he did have it. And that was the fact that Mets were calling up Adam Wilk, a left-hander, to make a start. And they did, and he made the start. And for years, Chris has always said, remember when I broke the Adam Wilk news? And I'd always say, yeah, no, no, you did. I mean, jokes aside about the importance of it, he broke the news. Well, Chris has been screaming, Vogelback's done. Ronnie Mauricio's getting the call up going into this homestand against the Phillies. Now, I, I don't know if it's true, but I'll tell you right now, after not using Vogelback on Sunday, I'm starting to think he's done. I'm starting to think we maybe have seen the end of the line of Daniel Vogelback at this point, which is it sucks because they gave away a player in Colin Holderman, and it sucks because I think he can be a useful player. But right now, as we have hit Memorial Day, and that's the time of the year where you start to look at your roster and figure, what do I have? He is the odd man out. He is. And one of the reasons he's the odd man out, it's it's sort of ironic it's going to end this way for him. Billy Epler and Buck Showalter have talked so much about versatility over the years with young players. They've talked about Vientos's versatility and Brett Beatty's ability to stay on the field defensively. Like, defense matters to them. And being able to play multiple position matters to them. And yet you have a guy in Vogelback who can't play a position. Like, he has not played a position. I don't think he's ever played first base with the Mets. Has he? Has he suited up and played first base in any game? Not that... The Mets would want that since Pete's out there every day. So for an organization that's talked so much about versatility and defense, here's a guy that supplies none of that. So if you replace him with Mauricio, you have become 10 times more versatile. You have become not just a better hitter, assuming Mauricio get hit at the major league level, but you've become a more versatile team. But here's the problem with all of us, okay, whether they make this move or not. I think we all have to agree things are looking good with this offense. Now, they'll be tested a little bit more against the Phillies. This is Colorado. This is Chicago. This is some mediocre pitching that they've beaten up. But this lineup is not the problem. And I don't think it's ever been. The problem is this pitching. And unlike with Alvarez and Beatty and and Vientos and Mauricio, They don't have guys in the minors itching to come up to change this. Unless you want to call up Zach Muckenhern and say, hey, give him a shot. Or Walker again, or Denny Reyes, or Jose Budo, or Joey Lucchese. It's the same guys. 
Now, maybe you get something out of one or two of those guys. I'm not mocking Zach Muckenher. Like, the truth is, this guy could come up and be great. You never know with relievers. But there is no obvious fix to this. That's what's frustrating. Their pitching is their issue right now. The way they pitched over these two games against Colorado, from their starters sucking to most of the bullpen, especially Saturday sucking, to really not having many relievers you trust, that's their issue. And there's no internal option that's obvious going to come up and fix it. So let's play the bullpen game. Who do you trust the most? Great, David Robertson, sold. Who do you trust the second most? Adam Adovino? I mean, that's probably the answer. Drew Smith is third. Brooks Raley is four. Who's five? Dominic Leone, Jeff Brigham, Tommy Hunter, Steven Nagosik. Like, we're going to hear a lot about the back of their bullpen, and it's bad. I'm sorry, the front of, like, the, 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 the meat of their bullpen, the long guys, five through eight. But really, after David Robertson, it's not a great bullpen. And when you mix that, with McGill, who's been bad recently, and Carrasco, who you never know what you're getting, and even Verlander, you never know what you're getting, and Kodai Senga, who, when he's home, he's fine. When he's on the road, he's a problem. And hopefully Max is building off of this. It's not a good staff. And that's the concern. This is a 500 team going into the Memorial Day, post-Memorial Day part of the season, a third of the way through the season, and I don't know how good this pitching can be. Can they make a trade before July 31st? Sure. Yeah, I think that's going to be their priority. You're not making the deal tomorrow. Jose Quintana is one of the rare, one of the, the few guys that can come in and help. But right now, it's all the same guys that we've seen over the first few months that can come up here. Luke Casey, Budo, Peterson, Reyes, Muck and Hearn, Dennis Santana, you name it. By the way, David Peterson in his last start sucked too, by the way. Lucchese's been fine. And the reason I bring that up is because should Tyler McGill have a safe spot in the rotation right now? He's been bad. He's been bad recently. I don't think you can trust him. So the pitching is the biggest concern, not even close. I mean, that's obvious as we move forward. Now, let me get to some of your emails because my kids still want to play. It's uh, I'm recording this at night on Memorial Day Sunday night. And they don't want to go to sleep. And they shouldn't. Because, hey, man, it's freaking Memorial Day weekend. All right, let's get to a few emails. Uh, Fred Fernandez writes, Evan and Pete, ninth inning of today's game, Sunday's game, against the Rockies. When the Mets brought it to 11-10 facing a righty on the mound, there were two outs, and I was praying Buck would let Escobar bat and not use Vogel back as a pinch hitter. Buck left in Escobar, and it occurred to me that Buck might be losing faith in Vogel back and was afraid to use him. As little as a week ago, he would have sent up Vogel back as a pinch hitter without thinking twice about it. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed to me that he passed up the chance to pinch hit Vogel back about four times during this game. If the manager is now afraid to use him, what is he doing on this team? Is Epler afraid of releasing Vogel back that it would close a book on last year's trade deadline as a miserable failure? <laughs> but let's be honest, I knew that last year's Mets trade deadline was a disaster by August 3rd, 2022. Do the right thing, Billy, as GM, DFA Vogie tonight. Look, they got rid of Darren Ruff, and they gave up more players for Ruff than they did for Daniel Vogelback. But it's a great point. Thought the same thing. He doesn't have faith in him. He has no faith in him. Ian Nolan, 
Evan, I'm sending this email to state nothing other than Tyler McGill has become my least favorite Met pitcher to watch. We all have that guy, right? Last April, he looked like the next big thing in our rotation and post his shoulder injury. He's not only a shell of himself stuff-wise, he's also infuriating to watch pitch. He's become that nibbling, high-walk, constant guys on base starter you hate to watch. Not sure what the future holds, but if he's going to look like this every five days, I wonder if in the future, or not right now, he's better off in the bullpen throwing 98 again. He's not going to last as a fifth starter with his current arsenal. Uh, who are you replacing him with? You know, we gave you the options. Budo, Peterson, Lucchese. I don't know if the Mets will do what they did last year, which is say, hey, let's see what he is as a reliever. Let's see if we can kind of reinvent him as a relief pitcher. They tried it last year. It didn't work. Ethan Chow writes on the May 27th game. That was the Saturday game. Evan and Pete, I'm done with this team. Buck has seriously no clue about the Met bullpen. He chooses to go to Jeff Buzzkill Brigham to pitch the seventh, and he gave up a two-run homer to Ryan McMahon. And then in the eighth, he goes to Blue Smith. I like what he did. And he gave up two runs in the eighth. Buck lo- loves to lose. He loves Daniel Vogelfat, Tommy Sham, and these other bums. Sounds like Frank the Tank. I'm sick and tired of this team. Steve Cohn needs to fire Buck if he does not. We're going to lose 100 games and never win a World Series. Okay. I got to stop you there. I, I get that Drew Smith and Jeff Brigham aren't very good right now. Who do you want to go to? That And that's the question everybody's got to put in their brain. Who do you want to go to? This is on Billy Epler to fix because this bullpen is a major, major issue. And they're going to have to figure out a way to get better. Otherwise, we're going to be sitting watching this crap for another third of the season. And by the way, that's the best part about being at the third of the season. If you want to see what everyone's on pace to do, just times it by three. Pete Alonzo on pace at 60 home runs. Francisco Lindor on pace at 27 home runs and driving 119 runs. How about that? And by the way, that, that's the interesting thing about this Lindor debate. You take my old partner, Joe B. And both sides are going to be right in what I'm describing, but I'm going to give you an observation on the Lindor debate because I don't really care about the Lindor debate. I just want to win games. That's all I care about. To Joe, he sees RBIs and says, hey, guy's going to 27 home runs and driving 120 runs. That's a good year. Now, a lot of people will say, yeah, but you're relying on guys to get on base to drive in runs. That's you know, Those numbers only work when you've got guys who get on base. So you need teammates to perform well to drive in a lot of runs. And a guy like Joe would say, and I would even say to a degree, okay, I don't care. If he's driving in 120 runs, he's having a good year for me, for my team. I'm not looking at a fantasy team. I'm looking at my team. The object of the game is to score runs. If I've got a guy driving in 120 runs, he's having a really good year. Now, someone else would say, well, look at his OPS. And there's no denying it. His OPS is not great. So if you're judging Lindor on, hey, is he having a good season or not? There's two different kind of brain, two different kind of mindsets to have. There's the fan of the Mets mindset. There's the fantasy baseball mindset. From a fantasy baseball standpoint, or really just a baseball standpoint, yeah, his OPS is under his current numbers. He's not having a great year, and a lot of his numbers are relying on his teammates getting on base ahead of him. But if you're a Met fan, you don't even care. Your point is, oh, he's driving in a lot of runs. That's good. That helps my team win. 
If you're driving 120 runs, that's good for the Mets. So I think sometimes these debates about what stats you care about are people having two different debates and not realizing it. Like they're kind of yelling at each other, but they're not talking to each other. If you're a Met fan, if you're listening to me right now, most Met fans listen. If you're a Met fan, if you're listening right now, you're probably a Met fan. You're looking at, well, you're driving a lot of runs. That helps my team win. If you're looking at kind of like I'm 50,000 feet above, I'm just kind of looking at baseball and I'm analyzing this guy's season versus that guy's season. Yeah, he's going to come up small. So it really depends on how you want to view it. Anyhow, coming up this week, we'll obviously give you a normal Rico after the Philly series. We're also going to do a Rico where we look at the third of the season and what's been accomplished and what we're nervous about and who's going to keep this up and who's going to suck more and who's going to be better. So we'll give you a bonus edition of the Rico coming up as the week rolls on. Big series coming up against the Phillies, and hopefully the Mets can get the taste out of losing two out of three to Colorado out of their mouth. You can email the pod, the Rico B at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 